0: Welcome to the How to Not Execute Your Strategy podcast. I'm your host, Tim O'Hi. This series is dedicated to the biggest lessons learned from the people who own strategic execution, the senior leaders who live in the center of it. My guest today is Dane Grunewald. Dane is the group CEO and founding partner of The Huddle Group. The Huddle Group is a family of operating companies that provide innovative workforce solutions for clients experiencing changes in their operating model, asset portfolio, or external market conditions. Dane and his team deeply understand that quality talent is the lifeblood of any business, and he brings that perspective to today's conversation. You may also follow Dane's podcast, The Future of Work. Listen now as we explore how overly optimistic thinking creates stress and disruption. Let's get to it. Well, I am really excited today to talk to Dane today. This is going to be a fun, fun uh, uh, recording. And and before we go any further, Dane, properly say your last name. Dane Gruneveld. Gruneveld. Now, how did an Aussie get yeah. Gruneveld? Because I do a lot Dutch. of work in South Africa. That sounds like a pure Dutchy accent, you know.
1: Yeah, it's full on Dutch. And I, I bet you my Dutch relatives are telling me that I'm pronouncing it wrong, too. <laughs>
0: that's awesome. Well, cool. Today, we're we're going to dive into um, the same two questions we always talk about. And the first one is this. Dane, tell us about a time where you had a strategy that did not execute as planned. And what did you learn from it?
1: Yeah. Well, most of my strategies don't execute as planned. But um, <laughs> I think that's <laughs> a universal. I think that's yeah. universal. Yeah. Um, I think some of the really interesting ones have come around some of the acquisitions that we've made. Mm. Um, we own a number of companies. One of our companies is a staffing business, and we acquired a business going back to the beginning of COVID. Uh, it was March of 2020. Mm. We signed the deal March 1st. and oh, the, wow. the um what was it? All of the orders, uh, shelter-in-place orders went out, I think, on the 19th. So mm. we've now got this business, and we're trying to integrate it. And it wasn't just a tuck-in because... There was a staffing business, but there was also an engineering business. Um, and that one you know created a number of uh, let's call it gaps between the intentional plan and what actually executed for for reasons of our own making and the market.
0: Well so so and I'm gonna go because I've, I've walked enough through those kind of experiences. how long did it take to set up that signing date?
1: Uh, we probably had our first conversation uh in August we had our first meeting in October so Mm. it was it was about five to seven months which was quick by you know that's quick yeah yeah
0: Yeah. it is but still so you've got let's just call it six months half a year of planning you're set to go this thing people are calling COVID and it seems to be really bad in Europe um yeah. and we're kind of like, holy crap, what's gonna happen over here? And then all of a sudden it starts popping up. And you know, we were both in California at the time. So California started yeah. getting hit hard. Um, what was going through your mind then as you were going through the signing date? As you were going into this, were you thinking it, it it's gonna be okay? Were you thinking, holy crap, why are we doing oh, this? What were you what was it was, was your... it was sheer
1: optimism and excitement. <laughs> Nothing's gonna go wrong. <laughs> These are great people. This is what we've always wanted to do. Let's go do it.
0: Ah, it's wild. Okay. So let's, let's, let's unpeel this story a little bit. So you sign and you are full of optimism. You're ready to rock. And next thing you know, this thing gets worse.
1: Yeah, it gets really bad because those shelter in place orders go out and all of a sudden we're trying to work out if we're a frontline industry, most of our people uh, up there in the Bay area are deployed on refinery sites. So fortunately yes. they were, you know, first line um, employees, but we're having to go through all of the safety all of the communications the change mm. management the billing cycle we're doing everything at once everything just gets squeezed into this chaotic period of you know 6 to 12 weeks of trying to it's it's daily survival let's be honest
0: wow wow yeah. so um if you were to rewind the tape and and do different things what were some of the things that you would do differently yeah good question
1: i uh, i think we would absolutely have gone forward with the, the plan to, to do the transaction benefit mm-hmm. of hindsight is, is that we got through it. Yeah. Um, I think uh, we would likely have spent a little bit more time in the planning in the month ahead. We would have, we would have probably taken time to say what could go wrong because we never did that.
0: Uh... And,
1: and I think had we been, had we spent more time with the sort of integration planning and the, what could go wrong? Rather than a lot of the time, as often happens in transactions, just trying to get the deal signed, we probably would have had the team on deck, more aware of our, you know, responsibilities, accountabilities, and um, likely putting a clearer message out there to our people.
0: So you executed without a plan B. What was the impact uh, on that, on your decision-making and your executing? You said it was daily survival, but break us or, or pull us into some of the more literal examples of what that was like.
1: So the first thing we're doing is we're explaining to our customers, hey, the acquisitions happened. We're going to be changing some of the... Um, the vendor registrations, the payment details, we're moving some of our employees onto a new benefit scheme because they're be- becoming absorbed by uh, PTS advance, the staffing business. And that's going on while most of those customers are distracted with what's going on with COVID. So they're not right. really hearing it and, and seeing it. And then they're asking us, um, what can we do to do temperature checking at the gate? And you know, if someone's an employee over the age of 65, should we even be bringing them on site, even though they're qualified to be on site because we've got a higher risk because we don't know anything about this virus?
0: Wow. Um,
1: so a lot of those types of conversations are going on day by day, department by department. Um, and naturally, our employees in the field are starting to ask questions yeah. because they're getting paid for the hours worked, um, exempt or non-exempt, but but they're, they're deployed on assignments. So they're kind of saying, wow, if this site shuts down, where's my... Uh, income protection so we, we're communicating with lots of different people day by day and, and one thing the team did a really good job of as we pulled the team together in sort of react reactive mode was actually sit down and think through those different personas the, the customer that pays us the customer who's deploying the talent that we're providing the talent themselves and starting to understand what's important to each of them as it pertains to safety income um, knowing what might be ahead what bumps are in the road
0: wow, so you've got you've not only got the execution responsibility, you've got this emotional responsibility that you have to take yeah. as a leader, and that's that's just a different skill set, right? That's completely different to keep people emotionally engaged while you're trying to keep them in motion, you know professionally, yeah
1: the emotional piece is a great point, Tim. I mean, that was probably the hardest because you can't, you can't grab it. You can't measure it. You Mm -hmm. just know people are in an emotional state of distress. And so we had this team going out to make changes to workflows and documentation and communications, but we had to kind of rally them around each day. We hadn't got the chance to really get together in person and and do some of the human connecting that helps make these changes easier. Mm. Um, So one of the things that we did on the emotional side, we started a daily call every morning. Um, I would wake up, I think at about seven, I couldn't get up and surf like I normally do. So I'd be up at seven and I'd be there scanning the internet for good news stories and posters. And, and we'd get the whole company together, not just the acquisition integration team. And we started to kind of rally a little bit of morale and emotional support for people and, and talk about what we were scared about, what we were learning um, but but create a bit of a shared environment for that um, emotional uh, hygiene, I guess you could call it.
0: Yeah. So how how did you keep your leadership team um, in that same space? Because because it's you're not you can't run around and do it for everybody. Um, your sphere no. of your influence is only so big. So how did you make sure that your leaders were doing their own version of emotional hygiene and how they were injecting energy into the business?
1: That's a good question. I mean, we at that time. We only had about 50 internal employees, so the daily call was everyone from Uh, from the company wide, yeah, yeah, from from the entry level roles all the way up to the CEO. And so we did the company wide town hall every morning, uh, and that kind of fueled the team with conversation. Um, It allowed it allowed me to play a little bit more of like a emotional leader um, figurehead through the through the Yeah. Uh, but it also gave the team a lot of talking points as they went and sat down virtually in most cases, because we're all at home still um, with their employees to talk about things that we're doing all with their customers. But, you know, one of the interesting things there, and I was very fortunate to have the team that we had is that the team that was on that call, every level of the business would pick up on some of the themes that we were talking about around safety and mental wellness and, and um, family, you know, because a lot of people were thrown into a, a crisis in their family with kids in yeah, sure. school and all sorts of things. And so they were then going out and sharing that same sentiment, that same message with, with you know their, their customers. So I think the team did a really good job of rallying around some of those early behaviors at the beginning of the day and, and using it um, appropriately, you know, in their personal lives and in their work lives
0: which leads us directly into the next question in what are two or three skills you think everybody in the organization should have? I mean, we've talked about this whole idea of um, emotional, and I, I use the, I use the word human energy. How do you maintain and steward your human energy as a business? That may be a skill, but what, from your experience, what are the two or three things you think, not just leaders, but everybody needs to have if they're going to execute really well.
1: You know, one of the ones that I think it would be great for everyone in the, team to have is courage, and it's really mm. easy to say and really hard to achieve. Mm. Uh, we've we've been talking to a lot of thought leaders and experts around the importance of courage in teams. Yeah, um, and and re- let's be honest, problem solving in in situations that we've been through and in situations that others go through uh, is a bit of a team sport these days. There's just so much data, there are so many moving parts, there are so many stakeholders, and the only way a team can really Uh, execute well is if they have the courage to say hey Tim I really need you to go a little bit wider when they make that play or Bob uh, or Jenny could you guys you know let me know what I'm not seeing when I'm going down this path when I'm making this communication or when I'm completing this uh, analysis so I think courage is like a it's a it's a 101 essential skill that the whole team needs
0: it's hard because I, I, I've I've worked with very very large. I've worked in very very large companies, um, all the way down to startups and nonprofits in um, South yes. Africa, and that is something that's universal. I honestly, it's it's you're getting down to the culture of the company and are you allowed to speak up? So and yes. I and I know you're a huge advocate for how culture impacts the health of your business and the health of your revenue. So let's let's yes. let's stay here for a moment how do you make sure courage is alive? Is it something you train? Is it something you hire? Is it something you just, you know, how do you make sure courage is in place?
1: I'd like to say I hire for it. Um, I certainly look for it when we're hiring, but you know, the hiring interface is so narrow and short lived. It's hard to to believe that we actually get that right. (laughs) Um, So you'll ask a few behavioral questions, but, but I think it's about um, training for it. I think you've got to, and trust me, I'm still working at this. I've got more scar tissue than, than not. Um, but I think you've got to create uh, really good examples where the leaders in the teams that the people are looking up to are being courageous, either in asking mm. for feedback yeah. or giving a peer feedback. And sometimes yeah. that has to be public. There's this there's this age-old sentiment that you, know, you praise in public and, and you correct in private. But actually, sometimes I think we need to do a much better job of correcting in public. Yeah. and we need to make sure that we remove the emotion it's not barbed and yeah. that we're saying hey team we didn't do this right the learning moment is this and and here's a good example of me having that conversation with someone else and and then you create that psychological safety for others to be courageous for sure
0: that's huge and 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 I want to crack open this idea we said that we're training we're not talking about sending people to a class uh-huh. I, I want to, use, I'm using training like you would as an athlete. I, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's Monday. It's a training day. Cause the, the, the game will be Saturday or Sunday and the training is happening live in the moment as you run your business. So as you said, in the meeting, in real time, that is the actual training. It's not formal. It's, it's just part of the Tuesday schedule.
1: Yeah. I think that's, I, I think I've always loved that analogy, Tim, of athletes in the field, it's drills and, yep. Yeah. Work isn't work isn't always just the task that we're completing. It's how we're doing it and and how we're connecting with each other. I think you're right. I think it has to be live fire, you know, learn by doing.
0: Well, and this gets into then the whole concept of hierarchical hierarchical thinking, if I get my words around that most of us have been taught to think in terms of hierarchy and that it's like a a command chain like the military and the higher rank yeah. gets lesser dialogue and the reality is it's much more like a sporting event where you have people on the sideline and people on the pitch and everybody is equal whether you're the the trainer who's running on the field with water and bringing a, you know um, water and other uh, stuff with you to check on somebody uh, and running back to the sideline you have an equal role as whoever's the captain of the offense, et cetera, yeah. and, and the coaches and all the, and there's no hierarchy. It's just, look, we are playing to win as a group. And and I don't yeah. think enough people make that leap between how they've structured themselves and their ability to generate courage as a result of that structure. Would you say that you see the same thing? I think
1: you're right. I think you're right. Uh, there's the There was a study on peak performance that came out of New Zealand that looked at the all blacks rugby team. And it said the reason this team's awesome is that everyone is encouraged to do thinking and to do doing and to do telling like it's yeah. not hierarchical. And so yeah. some of the best players were in there sweeping out the sheds afterwards.
0: And that's and, the way it works.
1: And you can build that in a sports team, but building it in a business is, is not as easy. Um, there's a great uh, thinker on this space, Eric Coriol, who I've, I've done some work with and Eric talks about the fact that um, people have this contract not to call each other out at work. It's an unwritten contract. Because our work, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of stress. I've got to perform. It's my income. It's my livelihood. It's my ego. And it's not a team environment where if you lose at the weekend, you dust back up at training and, and adjust. Sometimes if you lose at the weekend, you know, your job's on the line. You've lost some currency and, and there's too much at stake. So I think that's a big reason why leaders and, you know, the wider team are not really drilling uh, these behaviors of courage on, on a week to week basis. And, and I can't say I do either. I get the theory, but it's, it's hard to put into practice.
0: It, it is hard to do. It is hard to do. Especially if you're a, a recovering type A like me, you're, you know, you, you want to win. <laughs> so sometimes you let winning get in the way of everything else, but at the same yeah. time, you, you can't do it by yourself. So, um, let, let's go to another, another skill. So we've got courage and we've done a, a pretty deep hole around that. Uh, do yeah. would you put another, uh, uh, we'll call it a tent pole for the rest of the, uh, organization?
1: Look, I think, uh, what goes hand in hand with courage is actually, um, clarity of your role on that team, mm-hmm. because you can be courageous and say something, but if you don't really understand your own role, you're not, you're not going to be, um, really understanding the context of what's going on and where you can make those adjustments. So, Clarity of role, if everyone could just be clear on what they do and how it helps others and they could communicate it in that easy way, then often when you run into these problems, you can explain, you can externalize what that problem is. You can Mm -hmm. say, look, the problem is I'm responsible for getting payroll out every Tuesday and I'm not getting accurate data to get the payroll out. And therefore, we're at risk of hurting our employees and, and falling foul of labor laws by not getting payroll right. That's a much better approach to the clarity of my role and what I might need from someone else rather than me saying, um, you guys are making a mess of the timesheets. That doesn't tell anyone anything,
0: right? <laughs> so so how do you make clarity a skill set? What, what, are, the, what yeah. are the things that you have to do in order to, to create clarity? Because you're talking... Um, and just, just so you know, I, that is to me, the number one thing that leaders can do if they're going to fix something and get their execution back on track, the lowest hanging fruit and the most common problem is injecting clarity. So, so how do you make sure people have that? What, what's the skills that are attached to that?
1: Well, I can tell you how I've done it wrong a lot of times, which is me trying to set the clarity for other people. Cause then you don't use the right language and you're not really thinking about how their job functions. Um, so I think the, the, the difficult answer to that question is you need to give people time to actually sit down and understand their own role and, and really document it and then share it with a peer. I think that's the simplest way. Now that means a lot of people have to do a lot of work and a lot of communication and honing, but at least they'll, they'll find a way to do it for themselves. And they're not being given this desktop procedure that says, this is what my job does. Cause they're never going to pick that back up and, use it to explain anything
0: no well the the, so i'm a huge fan of grpi do you know grpi
1: i don't know
0: oh okay uh so grpi or grippy or gerpy um was developed uh in the 70s made popular in the 80s at ge so when jack welch was Ah. um transforming ge into number one number two and everything else uh noel tishy and ram tran were two of his top folks there to help him with all of that and what they did was um, created a model that said, if you want high performance teaming, the root cause problem is going to be goal clarity. Then yeah. it's going to be role clarity. Then it will be fixed the process. Then it will be uh, the interpersonal stuff. And they found that most people see the interpersonal conflict and they go, oh man, we we need a team building event or we need communication skills or we need, I don't know, pick something. Yeah. And everybody goes after these interpersonal skills when The problem is, well, are the processes working the way they're supposed to? And if they're not, maybe you should fix that first. And it's amazing how often the interpersonal stuff cleans up once the process works the way it's supposed to. But before you go fix the process, are people clear on their roles? Because the reason the handoffs aren't working is the roles are not aligned. And if the roles are clear, not only my role, but I know what your role is and you know what my role is, the tendency for you to try to redo my work or do my job or even undo my job goes down dramatically. But more importantly, do we even have the same goal? Is our definition of success the same? And it's amazing yeah. how often companies don't have clarity around the goal. So people make up their own definition of what the goal is or they add their own definitions to it. And then yeah. roles are completely spun off in another direction as a result of that. So, So when you talk about this idea of spending time on your clarity especially with the role and not going to fix the process that's like backed up with decades of business experience and I'm at how yeah. often i see people coming in and trying to here's well, okay we're going to redo the sales process or we're going to redo you know the payroll process i'm like guys that's not the problem trust me
1: yeah so it's got to be starting with that goal and then cascading down that's right i like i really like that
0: So, so let's, let's, let's crack this open a bit when you're looking for talent. And when you're looking for somebody who's got real potential to kind of take on more responsibility, they've got the courage you're looking for. They understand how to create clarity and how to even ask for it if they can't do it themselves. Um, is there anything else you're looking for? And wow, you've got something special that makes you go, I want to pay attention to you.
1: I, (laughs) The, the later I get into my career, the more I realize that this might be a a blind spot, but I've always asked um, and explored how sort of impatient people are, because I've always enjoyed impatience in my fellow colleagues, bosses, team members, because it means they're not going to sit around and put up with something that isn't yeah. optimal. Yeah. And so impatience means that you can create a team that's telling you a lot of what's going wrong, but at least you're getting the feedback
0: that's awesome. Yeah, it's impatience is one of those funky things where um it seems like if if I'm impatient and kind while I'm doing it, that's Good acceptable. Point. But if I'm a jerk, then yeah. then I've got problems. The, the the problem then goes back to sometimes we need that robust transparency with our impatience and and we've got some pretty thin-skinned folks out there. Um is yeah, is do. that is that part of the equation then is to kind of work with people on that it's, and it's not one or the other you've got to be kind you've got to be yeah. thick-skinned so is it about balancing that
1: i think it is balanced because you can't expect everyone to have that whole spectrum covered up i certainly don't and then emotional events will trigger different behaviors so yeah. i think yeah. it's about finding that balance uh funnily enough in some teams that i've worked in we would often create a role like we would say hey you get to you get to um be the bullshit ringer, you know, uh, you yeah. ring it if, if someone's gone off, you know, off track and is, is saying stuff that doesn't hold out. And then someone else has to be sort of the empathy champion, um, just to say, you know, we're all going to turn up differently every day, but, but who's keeping an eye out for some of those behaviors, particularly if they are unkind.
0: So how do you, how do you, how do you make sure your team has that? Again, is that back to something you have to build within your culture and, and kind of grow I that think, skill? I think
1: it is. I think that's yeah. a hygiene factor, right? It's mm. you, you can't just do an event and hope it's there forever. You can't bring in a great speaker, send someone to do a LinkedIn learning course. It's, it's, again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's drilling every week, you know, doing that real time courage to speak up if someone goes off track or if they're being unkind. And, and I think that's, that's why executing strategy is so hard because it means that we all have to kind of embrace that discomfort on a, on a day-in, day-out basis. There is no silver bullet.
0: Yeah. It's, and, and so emotional hygiene literally has to be anchored not only to your culture, but all the way through down to how decisions are made in meetings. And yeah. you've, you've got you've to call that out as your leaders are to make sure that they're looking for it. They're, and, and I'll go one step, they're rewarding it. Um, and I don't know how that works in, in your own culture, your own business, but it seems like the rewarding factor needs to be brought into this. Um, and I'm sure people could have fun with it. I mean, you know, everything from r- rubber chickens to, you know, Starbucks cards or whatever, but you know, you could probably yeah. have fun with it if you wanted to.
1: We've been informally trying to reward through like, uh, an app with some kudos. Yeah. But, but actually we don't do a good enough job on the reward. I think, you made an interesting point there, particularly with the newer generation entering the workforce. And there's this sense that they have not thick skinned, but that's, I don't think that's true. I think that's a generalization, but but with the new workforce that we're into, whether it's the generation entering it or just the the way that we work now, um, it, there is a need to be doing more of the actual, um, I think, recognition and reward. I think that's often missed.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to actually, I'm going to jump on that a little bit just because we have just a couple minutes left. Do yeah. you think that's generational or do you think that's more just youth? And when you're younger, your thinner skin is when you're older. Because I, 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 I've kind of moved away. from I used to be huge at the yeah. generational things. And yeah, there's patterns to it and there's truth to it. But at the same time, it just seems like, nah, the older millennials I know are now complaining about the things that we as Gen X used to complain about and just in a different way. But everybody I think you're mad. right.
1: There is a bit of a rite of passage, a cycle. But I think that's exacerbated now more than ever. I, you know, mm. that there's a lot of um, post-traumatic stress in the workforce from from what we've gone through in the yeah. last few years. Very and much, and not so. just COVID, by the way. All yeah. of the other crises we've gone through, yep. from you know September 11th right through, you know, financial crises, yeah. Me Too movements. There, yeah. There's just a lot going on in our lives. Yeah, social media. So I think right now. you you can't generalize or just assume that because someone's been there for a certain tenure or they've been in the industry for a while that they're going to be able to deal with whatever's turning up on the day.
0: Absolutely. I I think that's that's why the
1: reward and recognition probably is more important now than ever. And it's not the, it's not the pizza parties. It's, it's actual going and physically manifesting this personal connection that, that says, Hey, thanks for standing up and, saying that on behalf of your colleague or on behalf of the business or the customer but i think i think you need to go out of your way at a personal level
0: to get that right that is so good that's actually a perfect place to stop um dane that that would that last point actually really resonates how you get away from pizza parties and i'm hey i love pizzas So don't stop the pizza parties but it's that extra reward because I am trying to train. I am trying to discipline. I am, and, and not in the hard discipline, but like as an athlete, I want discipline. I want training. I want skill development. So it becomes muscle yeah. memory and emotional muscle yeah. memory. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, again, thanks again for being on this call and joining my first season. Um, I uh, I have respect for what you do and how you do it. Um, it's, there's not a lot of CEOs out there running their own podcasts about how to have healthy organizations, but that people side of business is what makes business worth doing. And I appreciate oh, it. Oh, it absolutely
1: does. It's so rewarding. Thanks, Tim. It's been an honor to be on the show with you and uh, just great getting to know you more and more.
0: That was so good. What really jumped out to me was Dane's overall focus on how people drive execution, not the plan. I'm curious, what are your biggest takeaways and how are you going to use them? My three biggest takeaways are beware the trap of overly optimistic thinking. Nothing is going to go wrong, right? Spend time thinking about what could go wrong and then make sure your people are prepared for their responsibilities and accountabilities before you launch your strategy. The team has to be both tactically and emotionally engaged. Emotional engagement needs its own effort. Emotional hygiene is the responsibility of every leader. Patience is more valuable than we realize. We all need thick skin to be able to execute. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with at least one person. And leave me a review on whatever platform you downloaded this podcast. Your feedback is invaluable to me. And Imua, onward and upward.